0: Here's one that I did not bring to God. Over the summer, I've I've got this car that's like two and a half years old, and uh, I went to adjust. Somebody had adjusted the seat, and it was like just out of range, like comfortable range. I could still drive it, but I had to kind of shift a little bit that, you know, to stretch out. And uh, so I went to obviously do the, this was just a a manual one, so not an electric. And I went to shift it, and... uh, Stuck, wouldn't move. And I was like, and no matter how many times I got in and out of the car, you know, like, I tried to, I ate more for about two weeks so that I could be more dense, so that maybe my denseness, well, that's not why I got more dense. But it was a byproduct, so even more density didn't get the chair to move. And uh, it just wouldn't budge. And so um, fortunately, we got a uh, warranty on the car. And so we called up and we said, hey, we'd like to have this, uh, the car checked out. And they said, oh, it's going to cost you $190 just to have it, um, you know, looked at. And, uh, you know, that's it. $190. And, you know, and if it's something that's under warranty, uh, you know, so all the little fine print all of a sudden was like, oh, my goodness, it's probably a french fry. That got in or a, some, something that got into the track. I, this is crazy. I'm not paying 190 bucks for somebody to come out and tell me that I'm an idiot and I'm too sloppy when I eat in my car. So I didn't do anything about it because like 190 bucks that's 190 And But I didn't pray about it. I didn't do anything with it. I just kind of kept driving. And I don't know about you. Maybe you love Hilo. Hilo. Maybe you love Hilo. I've lived here for almost 20 years, and I think I've been to Hilo maybe 12 times in my entire 20 years. I just don't find a reason to go very often. But this, this fall, my son is in soccer, and uh, there's a lot of soccer matches in Hilo. So now, I'm driving this car that's a little out of range over to Hilo every weekend, going back and forth to, to Hilo. And like after about the third week, my back's all jacked up and like I'm like starting to get that little hitch and the giddy up and everything. And I'm like, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta pay the 190 bucks to find out, to get the french fry out of the thing, because I can't keep going on like this with this car. So I, I pull the trigger, and I go in, I take the car in, and they, they uh, take like a couple hours, and they, they call me up, and they're like, oh, Mr. Kaiser, uh, you know, there's, um, there's a defect. The ball bearing is bad in the seat, and so we have to replace the entire seat. The entire seat. And I was like, uh, and that's covered by warranty. And I was like, well, that's good news. And they're like, not for everybody. Nissan's going to have to, the the part alone is $5,200, $5,200 to replace a ball bearing that went bad, like in the track somewhere. That's a big French fry. fry. In retrospect, I should have been praying all along because God cares about the little things that actually sometimes end up being even bigger than you would know. And so uh, I just want to testify, one, that I'm not perfect. And I don't always take the prayer requests that I should be taking to God. But may we be encouraged to take even the little things that end up maybe even being big to God because he cares for his people. And so, Father, thank you for the blessing uh, of Nissan's warranty coming through. In Jesus' name, I got a brand new seat, and I'm my alignment. I'm back. I'm ready to go to I'm ready to go to Hilo every week. All right, uh, we are in um, Galatians. I'm going to read through Galatians. Uh, 1. And so if you just want to jump up to the scripture, there we go. Uh, this is a lo- longer passage, but it's, it's, there's a lot of biographical content in it. And uh, here's the crazy thing about this week, is I was going to take the biographical, the, the, the advantage, the freedom to be like, okay, you heard the story, let's move on. Uh, and I'm going to teach about something different. And so I had the skeleton, so this is how I work with, when it comes to my sermon prep, is I uh, kind of read the entire book numerous times before I go into it, I kind of have a lot of the pieces you know, sitting there uh, in order to assemble the weekly sermons, and so the, the metaphor that I use when people ask is I, I, I try to put the, the skeleton together on Mondays. That way, then I'm, all the rest of the week, I'm able to pray to God, and, and he, he always, the Spirit always puts the flesh on the bones, so that what you get is not what my agenda or my thing, it's what God wants to speak to you. And so that happens pretty regularly. It's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal to watch the Holy Spirit take what I kind of assemble and really go, and here's the life uh, that, that comes with it. Um, and so if you ever don't sense the sense the life, it's probably because I didn't get that work done uh, or avail myself of the Holy Spirit. But this week, I uh, got the, uh, the bones ready to go. I actually kind of knew what I was gonna do two weeks ago uh, for this Sunday. And Monday comes around and I'm, okay, the bones are on. And then I go through the week and the flesh is not appearing. And, and so I'm like, this is a little strange, but I, I know the content well enough that I, I, it's gonna be fine. So last night, I'm kind of going into the final, like, you know, I'm decompressing and, and getting ready, and the Holy Spirit comes and he's like, them bones aren't good. <laughs> We're going in a completely different direction, which is not a great feeling for a guy who usually is prepared on Monday to be Saturday night, like right before you're trying to go to sleep and get some peace. Uh, it's not a great feeling because... Uh, Well, I've had it happen before when my flesh said that the bones weren't good, and I switched, and it was a train wreck the next day. So here I am, like, taking that step, like, Holy Spirit, is this you? I hope this is you, because if it's not, this is going to be a train wreck. And then today we go for the first service, and it's like, it's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's got something for you today. It's not what I had prepped, uh, but I think... We're gonna find some 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 nuggets of life for us in this passage, though there is some kind of autobiographical information. So, bear with me. All right, when we get to uh, the reference of Cephas, there's a guy named Cephas in here. Who is that? Peter. Peter. Okay. So it's gonna to refer to him every time as Cephas, but that's the Apostle Peter. All right. Okay. This is from chapter one, verse 17 through 2:14. Watch out. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. Remember, there's a little bit of, we've already covered that in these first couple chapters of Galatians, that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, not by his will. Now you're going to get a little bit of this, here's who I am in God, and here's who I was before God. He's going to play that out a little bit. For I did not receive it or learn it from any human source. Instead, I received it by a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I was savagely persecuting the church of God and trying to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my nation and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when the one who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not go to ask advice from any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me. But right away I departed to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. I'm going to pause right there for a second. Okay, here's a guy who knew Torah, right? Uh, Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Not only that, he knew the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the full hebrew scriptures what we call the old testament which if you want an invitation call it the hebrew scriptures not the old testament because jewish people don't like the fact that they refer to it as the old testament no it is the hebrew scriptures right it is still got living and active aspects to it and so uh, we can refer to that but paul was an expert in this along with the oral tradition and get this the oral tradition that got written down (laughs) it's kind of funny uh, the Mishnah and the Talmud. These are two rabbinical sources that interpret the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nephilim, and the Kefim, uh, the entire Hebrew scriptures. He's an expert in that, okay? Uh, and so here he is, an expert in that stuff, and now all of a sudden, he, defending the traditions of Judaism, unlike many of his peers, leading him to persecute the church and be responsible for the death of Stephen meets Jesus. Now, when it says Revelation, I'm not talking about like some like vision, like he meets him, the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Now, others are not able to perceive Jesus' presence, but Paul does. And he meets him face to face. And and here, I mean, can you imagine the, uh, I mean, we talk about people having worldviews and how we understand reality and blah, blah, blah the worldview shaking that would have gone on in Paul or Saul's life at that moment, I mean, he would have questioned everything. And yet here, Jesus is the living Word of God. So all that Torah, all that Hebrew Scripture is in life in front of him. And now he's going, wait a minute, (laughs) I'm an expert in that. And I was completely wrong just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Like they they had so much wrong about it. So here he is, he gets this revelation from, from God. Now you can imagine Saul or Paul and what he must have felt like, ah, I need some space and time to go back to the Tanakh, to go back to those Hebrew scriptures and figure out how I could possibly have missed it. And that's what he does. He goes to Arabia, and he goes and he immerses himself back in to the Hebrew Scriptures and starts to figure out, with this revelation from Christ, going, how, this is how I miss, I missed grace. Because the reality is, when you go to the Old Testament promises, there is a way to understand those promises and be in the kingdom of God. It's called the remnant in, in, in Old Testament. There are a group of people who were truly Jewish, who believed in the promises of God, of a God who's able to raise the dead back to life. And they were declared righteous because of that belief, Abraham being chief among them. And so when we think about that, there was a remnant of people who believed the promises of God, not to the detriment of the traditions like Paul did. And so now all of a sudden Paul's like, I mean, his head must be spinning, But he knows that there's truth in those Hebrew scriptures. He's just trying to figure and piece everything back together. And when he, I mean, can you imagine the, like we're, I don't know if you know, but we're in the season of epiphany right now. Like epiphany is this like, can you imagine the epiphanies Paul would have been having when he gets to certain prophetic elements in scriptures and going, the just will live by faith. And he, I mean, he must have just been floored by that. Right? we're going to see that later here in Galatians. you see it. this Galatians is like a primer to Romans, right? It's like the earliest version of Romans. Uh, and so he's he's impacted deeply by this Hebrew scriptures and this moment of epiphany of how he could possibly have missed it. But he doesn't need to be taught any of this stuff, right? He needs to spend time with Jesus in the Word of God because he's convinced. so uh, he's kind of walking through. I don't even know where I was. Where did I stop? But right away I departed from Arabia and then returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that being Peter, and get information from him. And I stayed with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I assure you that before God I am not lying about what I am writing to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. But I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Uh, They were only hearing, The one who once persecuted us is now proclaiming the good news of the faith he once tried to destroy. So they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem again with Barnabas, taking Titus along too. I went there because of a revelation and presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so only in a private meeting with the influential people to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, although he was a Greek. Now this matter arose because of the false brothers with false pretenses who slipped in unnoticed to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. But we did not surrender to them even for a moment in order that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were influential, whatever they are makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism between people. Those influential leaders added nothing to my message. On the contrary, when they saw that I was entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter was to the circumcised, for he who empowered Peter for his apostleship to the circumcised, also empowered me for my apostleship to the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who had a reputation as pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we would go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They requested only that we remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he had clearly done wrong. Until certain people came from James, he had been eating with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he stopped doing this and separated himself, because he was afraid of those who were pro-circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also joined with him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray with them by their hypocrisy." But when I saw that they were not behaving consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, if you, although you are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you try to force the Gentiles to live like Jews? All right. There's a lot there uh, that we're going to unpack, and, and we're doing so kind of in this, in this kind of overarching series of a love summons, that the creator of the universe has the authority to to gather you together. And he has interest in doing that because he knows that we are not somehow just naturally mature in our faith or not naturally prone to do the things that lead to life. So he says, you know what? Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna create this thing called the church and I'm gonna gather these people together to hear a proclamation that is invitational, that invites them to mature in their faith. So that they might experience, all together, well, no, no. I like life. Life is, the, I'm, I'm going for, I like freedom too. Uh, that, I mean, that's it. That's but all together, so that they may experience life. life right? That's what, that's what we are here gathered together to do. In fact, we should do, we should change that to, or, or add to it and have one that says life. And maybe we could do like life eternal, life abundant, and Fernando would love that. Okay, that's an old joke if you don't know Fernando. All right. So here we are. We are the church, uh, and that's who we are. And think of being holy. Uh, These people being holy, uh, that's who we are. What that means is that we are being separated from corruption. Uh, If you want to flip that around to a positive, it's embracing maturity. We're looking at a number of different books. Here we are in Galatians, and this one is Embrace Freedom, Again, how do you become holy by embracing freedom? Well, you're separating from legalism. Oh, this is a good book to preach in churches. You know why? Because the only legalistic people that I know of are in churches. All right? So uh, it's a really good book to preach to a Christian audience that we need to be holy. We need to separate uh, from legalism and embrace freedom. And so we have looked at this idea that Paul... Uh, We can't just ignore his writings because he's been sent by Jesus to further the promise of life in Christ. I love that language. To further the faith of God's chosen, to further the knowledge of truth. If you don't read Paul, guess what? Like, you're missing out on things that Jesus wants for you. Not Paul. It's not Paul's will. Paul, in his will, wanted to persecute the church. In Jesus' will, uh, Paul is now furthering the message of truth. All right, So we're, we're never going to kind of just like slice Paul out of Scripture. Uh, even when we get to some parts that are difficult, we're going to communally wrestle with, with, with God on that. That's the invitation that God has for his people. Wrestle with him on these things that he is saying leads to truth. Last week, last week we looked at, well, what is the gospel, or on the contrary side of it, what isn't the gospel and we recognize that there's this God who created everything. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's wonderful. And then, and then we stepped onto the picture and we were like, nope, I want my will. And we ruined all of creation. We brought corruption into the story. But thank heavens there's a God that's able to raise uh, the dead back to life, to overcome our corruption. And he said, you are not having the last word. I will have the last word. I'm going to recreate something even better. Man, that sounds like an amen right there. I'm going to recreate something even better. Amen. Oh, amen. And he's going to do it by grace. But he's also going to do it invitationally to include us, that we get to cooperate with this. It's fantastic. So let's look at, at uh, what he is asking us now. He's, he's, he's inviting us to engage, to, to have the freedom to engage. And uh, I think that's what we see here in this passage is this opportunity to see how Paul engages. um, And so one of the ways that that we see this is that Paul knew his encounter with Jesus was real, right? And that's what he goes to lengths. I mean, he took a lot of time to just unpack his story, and this isn't even the only place that he does it. He does it multiple places, and we read about it in Acts and other parts of his letters where he gives us a little bit of an insight into his encounter with Jesus and that, that very real encounter where his life was transformed miraculously. And on the basis of that encounter, Paul has incredible confidence, incredible confidence to take this message. I don't know. Wait, let's see. He took his, this message, well, maybe to his family, his friends, his neighbors, and his coworkers, and all the Gentile world. He had confidence to do that. And that's, I think, one of the things that we can consider as we think about this passage and we think about Paul's experience. It's not just for Paul. This this fact that this invitation that we can experience freedom to engage comes from our encounter with Jesus. Okay, so I I want you to think about that now for a second. I want you to think about your life now your encounter with Jesus is going to be different than Paul's. Paul's had a very tangible experience with the risen Jesus that we are unlikely to have. Ours is probably not going to be where we can reach out and like have him audibly talk to us, but we do get an opportunity to have an encounter with Jesus regularly. Right? That's part of why we assemble in his name is to have this This incarnation of the word of God proclaimed to you, and thereby you have an opportunity to have an engagement or an encounter with Jesus. So think of those epiphanal moments that I'm talking about, right? Have you had that same kind of experience that Paul has had where you were going your own way in life, and then all of a sudden Jesus showed up, and he interrupted your way, and your life hasn't been different since? That's an encounter. Now, it didn't have to come from a revelation. It, it may have come from, a, 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 maybe you were at a Billy Graham crusade. I know people that were saved. Billy Graham, uh, promise keepers. Uh, how many people kind of got saved in a situation where it was like kind of a mass uh, evangelical service? Anybody in here? Yeah, we ha- that happens, right? You have these moments where, where the Spirit of God is, is there present in, an, in a very large uh, kind of group of people. In an evangelistic environment, how many people were one-on-one with somebody else when you, you just didn't, you, you were talking with the person and everything slowed down and you were like, whoa, wait a minute, this is not the person speaking. I'm having an encounter with Jesus. How many, how many people have had that? Those moments. How many people were without the community of God? and simply I got a friend in college man. He was a, he was a fun golf partner. I'll tell you that because he had wild stories, right, like they would go way longer than the 18 holes, and like he was this skinny little white boy from the South, like super, he was like uh, Eddie Haskell from Leave it to Beaver, he's like every, every mother would be like, oh, you know, this kid's like the greatest kid, right, because he was always like, yes, sir, no, ma'am, right, all that nonsense, which is not nonsense, it's fantastic, Okay. I just never held on to it, so I didn't get the same thing. Anyhow, this kid was a hellraiser, and like the stories that he would tell while we were golfing, I was like, <laughs> he was dealing drugs and uh, like the whole lifestyle. I was like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. And he was definitely not lying about this. And one day he came home from a drunken es- a- 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 escapade, and he was sitting alone in his room, and he saw a Bible on, on, the-, on the nightstand, and he was so. To kind of, I guess, distraught and unfulfilled with his life that he picked up the Word of God started reading it and was like, this is true. And his life changed like that. Amen. Right, so sometimes it happens simply by an engagement with the Word of God. Whatever that encounter is, you were, you were changed. And here's what I'm, I'm going to ask you. And other than now, now I'm going to get personal, okay? If you can't think Of an encounter that you have had with Jesus that has left your life altered, I wonder if you have ever had an authentic encounter with Jesus. You see, an encounter with Jesus does not simply leave you filled with facts and information that you can then repeat with a group of people on a Sunday morning. That's not the life of Christ. That's not having had a personal encounter with Jesus. If, uh, another tell of that encounter is to see that life has changed for you. Now, for some of you, maybe you grew up in a pretty righteous environment, and you were like, I just really wasn't, I wasn't a hell I don't have a whole lot of like, bad before, the good, before I met Christ. But what an encounter with Jesus will also open your eyes to is what you would have been without him. And if, you, if you're sitting there and you're, you're like, I don't think my life would be much different, right? I, I've had this encounter with Jesus, but my life wouldn't be much different. If, if that's where you're thinking, I don't think that you've had an authentic encounter with Jesus. Because Jesus leaves people different. And that difference, is, is, it, it, well, as Robert Frost would say, makes all the difference. Because it gives you the confidence to be able to go to your family, your friends, your neighbors, and your coworkers. Which leads me to a third tell. If you don't have confidence to go to your family, your friends, your neighbors, and your coworkers, to tell them about your encounter with Jesus, I wonder if you've even had an encounter with Jesus. Paul had one. He knew his encounter with Jesus was real. He met him on the road to Damascus, and his life was altered forever. Another thing that he knew is his calling, because in that encounter, the king came up and said, okay, Paul, Saul, Paul, now here's what I want you to do. Another way that you can have confidence is, and once you have that encounter with Jesus, you're left like you're filled you're given the spirit, the spirit calls you to something now in some some ways generically you don't have to be a Christian to live into a portion of that calling right calling is it comes from that word that Latin word vocation right so whatever your job is oftentimes is uh, it can can be indicative of what your calling is, but on a general sense, we all live under the under this this idea of we were created in the image of God to bring order, purpose, and life to the chaos. And so what that means is, the reality is, each one of us is going to experience that chaos and kind of look around and be like, ha, that little area is chaotic and I don't like it. It's probably a tell that God has, not everybody sees the same chaos. And so it's probably a little bit of a tell for you that God has called you to address that chaos. And then he's going to equip you, he's going to give you the the abilities to go in and to bring order, purpose and life to that chaos. It's a, it's an excellent opportunity to to begin to explore what is your calling. And there's no retirement from that, okay? Like you can retire from a job, but there's no retiring from from going in and creating order, purpose and life you can get repurposed that's how the president of the Lutheran church says it i've been repurposed i've retired from my old job and now i've been repurposed and here's what i'm doing now okay but it is always going to involve somehow god instilling in you and gifting you empowering you to bring order purpose in life to some chaos around you if you're retired and and you're kind of like in, involved in you don't have like the monday through friday 9 to 5 work you know you look around and you're like probably there's a lot of chaos in your family, right? Like, you've probably been called now to invest some time to bring some order, purpose in life to the chaos of your family. You know where you start, right? Do you know where you start? On your knees. That's where you start, in prayer, okay? So whatever it is, Think of your vocation and, and begin to examine, are you bringing order, purpose, and life somewhere because you're beginning, it's a, a beginning tell of how God might specifically call you to do something. Paul had that confidence. He had the revelation, the encounter with Jesus, and then Jesus said, the king came along and said, now I want you to do this, and Paul's like, I, I, I got it. I got the confidence. I'm gonna, uh, not only am I not gonna, uh, only going to go to my family, friends, and neighbors and coworkers. I'm going to places people never even heard of me. Uh, that's how much confidence I have in what is true, which leads you to the next thing of, of this this idea of know your people. All right, and know your people, and and the final one here, know the message. They kind of go hand in hand. Now here's a. I got a lot of people in life. All right, I use that expression all the time. That's my people. All right. Sometimes what I mean by that is I'm here on the island and I hear that familiar, wonderful, blissful cadence of the tri-state area. <laughs> right? we got, like, I mean, there's a bunch of different tri-states that you can talk about, but like Pennsylvania, Delaware, Jersey, I kinda like, yeah, I got that. And they have a cadence to how they talk. They have an a intonation. And when I hear that, I, I'm like a little dog that has heard his whistle. And I'm like, ha, ha, where, where are you from? And they're like, one of the tri-states. And I'm like, you're my people, right? It even broadens to like New Yorkers who are sometimes not my people, but then sometimes they are my people because they're East Coast and they will get in your face and they will say it like it is. And that's my people. I like that. I can get, I can get behind people being, you know, authentically in your face. Uh, they might need to be softened by the message of Jesus a little bit. Um, but that, like, Paul now is beginning to kind of reflect this, I know my people. Now, what that means in this context is he knows who his people are spiritually. You see, what has happened is infiltrating into the, these churches in Galatia are not his people. People who are coming back and saying, you got to abide by the law. That's your way that you will know And that we will know that these people are righteous if you obey by the law. And Paul's like, "Uh, my encounter with Jesus had nothing to do with the law. In fact, it was a revelation of how I was actively persecuting the church according to a faulty understanding of the law. Uh, My calling came not because of the law. Uh, and so he's sitting here, he's, doing, he's able to in, easily distinguish who his people are, and then he goes back to Jerusalem, and he's like, i got to make sure you're my people, okay? He didn't need to go back in order to get trained by them, because he already had his encounter with Jesus, he already had his calling, he knew what the message was. But he had to go back and check in to make sure his people were his people. And he goes back to, to James, and to Peter, and to John, and he's like, uh, just to be clear, um I'm, the gospel that I'm preaching is all about grace. Uh, and so that these Gentiles who have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and showing signs of, of this Holy Spirit, uh, we're not asking them to then abide by the law, i.e. get circumcised. No, we're, we're simply allowing them to experience freedom of the one law that brings life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and... Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Uh, Are you my people? And Peter and John and James came back and said, We're your people. We are your people. Because that's exactly the same message we are preaching. And the fact that you are going into Gentile areas and preaching that message and people are embracing it, praise the Lord. We're going to stay here, and we're going to continue to preach it in this area. You go there, and together what we're going to experience is a growing family of God, a growing prophetic fulfillment of the Word of God that God is choosing people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues to be able to be in his family. So he knows his people, and they together, though, that his people, they know the message And and knowing all these things gives him great confidence to be able to take the message out. The freedom, then, also to engage. Now, that's kind of a nebulous. Maybe I'll change that someday, that title. That was last minute, remember? Okay, it was last minute. But freedom to engage in the fullness of Scripture. And the fullness of Scripture invites us to do what? To teach, correct Rebuke and train in righteousness. So here Paul is, the guy who has on his resume as the old man the responsibility for the death of Stephen, going and rebuking the guy who walked on water, Peter. But you know what? Both of them, both of them knew their encounter with Jesus. You see, it's not just Paul that knew his encounter. Peter knew his encounter. That when he walked on water and got distracted by all the things of this world and he started to sink and he looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, save me. That Jesus didn't come down and say, well, have you, have you been circumcised? Can you just show me that you've been circumcised? That'd be, that'd be awkward. That'd be awkward. He didn't ask for some some appeal to the law, he just saved him by grace. So Peter had the encounter. Peter knew his calling. Peter knew his people, and he knew the message that when you violate the message, that you may be rebuked by the message. And he had already a ton of experience having been rebuked by Jesus multiple times, To embrace the path of humility. Because Peter knew his baptism. He knew his fellowship. And part of the the one thing, I might stray into Brian's agenda here, but the one thing that drives me crazy about the American church is this that we do not understand the communal aspect of our baptism and our fellowship at the table. Because people who get baptized, And people who fellowship at the table are announcing to God and to the community, I am in submission to you and to one another. And too often in the American church, we do this independent little, I'm going to have my moment with God as I fellowship with him, and not realize the communal impact of those two things. So that when we get rebuked, our choice is, think there's another church that's a little bit more loving that I think I'll go to. No. Peter knew his embrace in his baptism and his fellowship at the table, knew that in humility he had submitted so that when somebody exposed a crossing over of the true gospel, that Peter was willing to receive the rebuke. So here, This freedom to engage comes from knowing your encounter. If you cannot think of an encounter with Jesus, if you cannot think of having been called by him to do whatever you are, you're doing something. Do you know that the something that you're doing is part of the kingdom? Do you know your people and do you know the message? It will give you the confidence to engage fully and appropriately within the community. That's the invitation that God has for us today. He's asking us, will you just, will, will you come? Will you come and embrace the freedom that I'm offering you? Not to, just, not to just divide and separate on these things, but to come and to truly know the gospel and to be able to live that gospel out with one another. Father, that's, we need you, Father. As Peter said, come, Lord Jesus, and save us. As John said, come, Lord Jesus, come back. We need you desperately. Until then, Father, empower us through your spirit to cooperate, to overcome all these, this nonsense that would, that would allow us to, to, to parade the law and, and, and put that up as an obstruction to the freedom that we have because of the gracious work of Jesus Christ in our life. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.